Another thing I want to mention is just how grateful I am for uh, the team of leaders that we have at our church. Uh, while I was gone, uh, the preaching here didn't miss a beat. I'm thankful for Andrew and for Eric and for John Klobuchar um, and uh, the ways that God used them to care for us. And he brought in some other speakers from other places as well. But not everybody you know, has that. Uh, the reality is, is uh, being gone... Things here just kept on going. Someone suggested to me, Man, who needs you? And I'm like, yeah, good point, good point. <laughs> but, I, but I do think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, the ministry that God has brought together at our church is not dependent on one person. Uh, our office uh, team, uh, fantastic, uh, with John Kelligan and uh, everything that is being done with children's ministries. Um, you know, we, we, we are just uh, very much, very much blessed uh, as, as people with just everything that um, Mrs. House to the kids is doing, <laughs> you know. And then uh, on top of all that, we've got our deacons who are continually caring for people. Uh, behind the scenes, most folks don't know about the, what happens there, but there's a lot of things that are going on. So praise, praise God for that, and uh, it's, it's really good to come home. So a question for you. Are you a vengeful person? I think we think of revenge oftentimes as violence, but you know what? It's not always that way. Oftentimes, it comes out more like this. Oh, you treated me this way? Well, then you're going to get what you deserve. And, uh, you know, revenge is common in our culture, and if we're honest about it, it's also very common in our personal lives. Uh, We even love revenge stories, don't we? I mean, how many movies are made just on this theme of revenge, right? Whether it's Denzel Washington's The Equalizer or uh, the classic Count of Monte Cristo, or what I would even call a deeper, weightier classic, Star Trek's The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's like the apex of revenge, is it not? I still can still hear Ricardo Monteblan's voice, you know. Revenge is a dish that is best served cold. It is very cold in space. Yes, you know, space. The way he kind of brings that out, you're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> But, but there was a, a study done on, on revenge by some sociologists recently, and, and they shared the various ways people carry out revenge. And some of the methods were, were pretty blatant, you know, it was sort of like damaging someone's car or, or sadly, you know, infidelity or, or even physical abuse. Uh, but more often than not, payback was a little more subtle. It was disclosing someone's secrets or making false accusations or trying to get someone fired or taking uh, someone's name, dragging it through the mud, humiliating someone, lying Uh, maybe breaking a promise. And so revenge can be carried out with sort of a scheme in place that you plan out for a long time, or it can be just more spontaneous. Uh, It might be the the heated verbal exchange you get into because they started it. Well, you don't don't want me to talk to you like that? Well, then stop doing that. Pretty simple. You keep doing that, I'm going to talk to you this way. Or when we gossip, or when we give someone the silent treatment, or perhaps we just, you know, conveniently cut someone out of our lives because they hurt us. Um... The problem is this. We often do unto others as they have done unto us. But this morning, Jesus takes that tendency and completely turns it on its head. As we continue our series in Sermon on the Mount, uh, we come to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And go ahead and open, if you would, to Matthew 7, verse 12. Uh, Up until this point, Jesus has been describing what a kingdom citizen looks like. He's talked about how we come to him 
as those who come as spiritual beggars, poor in spirit, mourning over sin, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And yet he satisfies us in that by forgiving our sin, by by taking it away. And he gives us a new heart. And then we start to pursue him. And he gives this clear call that your righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. And if you knew the scribes and the Pharisees at the time, you would go, whoa, how's that going to happen? Because they were very righteous externally. And then Jesus starts delving into the heart and dealing with matters of the heart, talking about things like if you're angry with someone, essentially, you've committed murder of the heart. And if you lust after another person, uh, you are committed adultery in your heart. And, and on and on he goes. He talks about practicing righteousness in front of other people, how we do things sometimes because we want to look a certain way to others. And he goes into how, no, we have a secret life before God. And when we're really walking as a kingdom citizen in the way we should, that secret life before God fuels what we do because he is our heavenly father and he sees and he cares and we're with him and in him because of Jesus. And so now after warning against judging others in in, uh, ways that demonstrate we have no concept about where we're really at in relation to God's holiness and after telling us to learn to ask from our heavenly father for every good blessing because he is good and he blesses his children he comes to an amazing statement and simply says this, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that from this verse you would grace us to grasp and understand and see yet again another way in which we are to live out our citizenship in heaven that all who have trusted in you, all who have come to you through Jesus, have that citizenship given by you. We pray that we recognize our connection with you more, our relationship with our Heavenly Father more through Christ, and that we would live in a different way. We pray that you'd be glorified in that, and that others would know you because of your work in us and what they see. And uh, we pray that we would be a potent witness for you in this dark, confused world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Today, as we look at this passage, we're essentially going to see what Jesus is saying here is this. Do as you desire from others. Do as you desire from others in everything towards everyone because of your Father. So we'll begin with just this idea of do as you desire from others. And we look at this passage and we're going, where does this come from? Why is he saying this now? Um, certainly, you know, Nick did a beautiful job with, with this section on um, praying and asking and seeking. You're like, well, what does that have to do with this? And, uh, and then prior to that, Eric took us through the judging section Judge not lest you be judged. And, and we look at that. And again, we're looking. So how, he's just talking about judging. Now he's talking about asking. Now he's saying do unto others. How does this relate exactly? And that therefore, when you're looking at it, of course, you know the old saying, right? You're looking for the therefore. You're asking the question, what is it? Therefore, right? It's pointing back. Whenever you see that word, it's pointing back. In the Bible, you're looking at previous sections. And the, and the question comes up, is it talking about the previous uh, section on praying and asking, uh, or is it connecting more, far, you know, going farther back to the judging section, or, or maybe 
Does it connect to the entire sermon? And I believe it actually does connect to the entire sermon. I think Jesus is pointing over everything he's talked about, and he's bringing us down to this pivotal statement. And yet, at the same time, this is a very good placement in terms of the immediate context as well, what he's just said. Because in the previous couple of sections uh, that we've looked at again weeks ago um, from, from Eric and Nick, uh, those previous two sections, we learned some really astounding things about God. So, for example, in chapter 7, if you just go back to verses 1 and 2, we find out something. We learn that God alone is the righteous judge. And he renders perfect righteous judgments. And he's the incomparable judge of the earth. And that, that judgment of his runs as a theme actually through the entire chapter here in chapter 7. But when he says, don't judge so that you will not be judged, notice for verse 2, for the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured unto you. In other words, Jesus is saying, remember, before you pass judgment on another person, that one day you're going to stand before God's judgment seat. And what scale would you like God to use in judging you? Would you prefer the scale of mercy because of what Jesus has done in fulfilling all righteousness? Or would you rather the scale of justice be used on you where um, you will strictly be judged in light of what you have done? And so Jesus is calling us to consider our Heavenly Father before we deal with our earthly brothers and sisters. And we find that this judge, this one, is the one who alone acquits all guilty sinners. He's the one that declares them righteous. And notice, he doesn't do this by skirting the law, but instead by flawlessly and completely fulfilling the law. We also learn that this judge does something shocking, and that happens in verses 7 through 11. You'll notice he's, in verse 11, your father who is in heaven, that he calls you to ask him. So we find that this judge, he drafts up adoption papers on our behalf. He seals them with the blood of his own son. He ratifies them, and he sets on them his divine seal. And then this judge comes off the bench, walks down to us, places his hands on our shoulders, and says, my child, I love you and share all my riches with you. I've chosen you. I've adopted you. I've redeemed you. I give you an inheritance in me that's secure and full, that will never fade or fail. Come with me, and whatever you are in need, I want you to ask me. Because I'm good. And I will always give what is good to you. Even when I say no to you, it's for your good. And whether you understand it at the time or not, my no to you is actually the best you could ever desire. And all these wonderful truths about God are the backdrop. That's what the therefore is doing. It's pointing us back to that. And then Jesus gives this command, what's been referred to as the golden rule. And you might think, well, what's the big deal? You know, I mean, doesn't everybody do this already? I mean, how often people say, do unto others, do unto others? I mean, a lot of things from the Sermon on the Mount become these sort of platitudes that are thrown around. And this idea of do unto others, at first glance, you know, it, it sounds really, really appealing to modern ears. And many will quote the platitude. You know, sometimes if they're a little more self-reflective, they'll quote it with kind of a resigned sigh, like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do that, and I don't. Others who don't think very much probably about the, the command here and what it really entails 
might have sort of a pompous confidence when they, when they state the, the, the platitude. But it's so popular today to try to do good. And yet deep down, when we're really being honest, we're really reflecting on ourselves, we understand, you know what? We don't. Selfishness often wins, even when we strive to do good to others. And for some, maybe most, this golden rule has kind of become a a seemingly healthy ideal, but it's unattainable in real life. You know, some do that. Well, it's a really good thing to aim for. Let's just keep aiming for it. But the context of the passage brings some very clarifying truths. Uh, because this, therefore, though it points to the immediate preceding passages, like I said, I think it actually points all the way back to the beginning of the sermon, even. Go ahead and turn back to chapter 5, verses 3 through 7. You remember what Jesus said here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Recall that term blessed really has the idea of how deeply joyful is the life of the one who. Or how, how incredibly fulfilled or happy is the life of the one who. Fill in the blank. It's only the blessed people, the, ple- the people who have this deeply rooted, joyful life that can find themselves even in the frame of mind to carry out the command as Jesus gives it. Do unto others or treat others as you would desire that they treat you. Only those who've gone through the first portion of the sermon can carry out this part of the sermon. Why? Because it's only those kinds of people who recognize that they're spiritual beggars, who grieve the depths of their sin, who grow in gentleness in speech and in action, whose appetites shift from sin to righteousness, who share the mercy that they've received and live as ambassadors of God's peace because of the peace that they've received in Christ. That all has to happen first before anyone can actually do this thing of treating others in the way they desire to be treated rather than treating others as they have been treated. It's only people who are in this place, this mindset of the deeply rooted joy that comes as someone admits their spiritual poverty and turns to Jesus alone to be saved. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here today and you have not come to that place yet. Maybe you're joining us online right now and and you, you've never really considered what Jesus has done and the impact that that must have on your life. And, and the call to you today is to, to do just that, to, to recognize you're, you're someone who has violated God's commands, just like all of us. And because of that, God's judgment is real and coming, and, and there is a opportunity for you today to turn away from that sin and to trust in Jesus. And Jesus tells us clearly that he forgives all who turn to him for forgiveness. Uh, Your sins can be cast away as far as the east is from the west, uh, buried in the depths of the sea, never to come back uh, to, to haunt you. And then there's an ongoing life of forgiveness. It's not just your past sins or present sins, but also future sin. And there's also a change of heart that comes about. There's a, 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 an admitting of spiritual poverty that, as the Beatitudes have explained, lead to a turning and a desire for more righteousness. And Jesus says, because of his earned righteousness, 
we can be satisfied. If you'd like to know more about that, please reach out to us. Uh, you can contact us there at the, on the webpage. There's a contact tab. Uh, or just email us at info at claytonvalleychurch.com. Uh, we'd love to talk to you more about this. If you're here today and, or joining us online and, and you've come to that place of trusting Jesus, the question is, are you living out this element of what it means to be a kingdom citizen? Is there consistency with what's happened in your life and who you actually are as a child, this adopted one whose heavenly father calls you to ask him for your needs? The judge who has given you absolute absolution from your sin and your crime against him because of the righteous work of another, namely Jesus. Being brought to that place of being in him Are you living and acting towards others in a way that reflects that or not? That's the question we need to face. And to love others in that way, to deal with others in that way, as you would desire they treat you, not the way they do treat you, the way you would want them to treat you. That's hard. That's even impossible. It can't happen without our vital union with Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't let up on us. We're to do this, this living of love and grace toward others. We're to do it in everything. What? Really? Yeah, look, he says it right there. In everything. What does everything mean? Uh, That's everything. (laughs) Yeah, you do the Greek word study on it, you know what it means? Everything. Yeah, how about that? It's everything. And that's hard. That's impossible. Um, And and that brings up another fascinating observation. You know, this phrase, what's been come to be known as the golden rule, has been attributed uh, to others from various times in history, from Confucius uh, to the Talmud. But what's fascinating is that each of those times it's been referenced in history, it's always been phrased in the negative In other words, it's always been this. Do not do to others what you would not want done for you. That's historically always how it's been been said. Jesus has this phrase flipped over. It's a sharp contrast because Jesus' words are positive and they're limitless. It's a lot easier to restrain. Like, okay, I won't do that. You know, that's easier. That's less than to say, no, I'm actually going to go out of my way and do what I would long for from others, whether they give that to me or not. There's a sharp contrast here with Jesus' words and what's been taught in previous eras. And so this teaching relates to all of our interactions with other people, and it touches our entire walk. It saturates our entire lives. And so we are to do as we desire from others towards others, in everything, but not only that, it's towards everyone. So now Jesus keeps up in the game, like, really? Oh, man. <laughs> Do we all see how we are all in way over our heads if we're going to think we're going to pull this off on our own or if we're going to kind of live a platitude-laden life and just kind of say it and mouth it like so many do rather than actually carrying it out? No, notice in verse 12, 
He says, therefore, in everything, treat people. People. What does he mean by there? That means image bearers. That means men and women and children. And if you're a human being, that's it. That's you. Uh, All image bearers are to be treated in this way, as you would desire to be treated. Now, by the way, this doesn't just mean, so shut up, put on a smiley face, and be nice to everybody all the time. That's not what this means. No, there's a place for confrontation. There's a place for, we're, we're called to speak the truth in love, but it's the way we carry it out. Um, I, I need to be confronted by brothers and sisters. I want you to do that. And thankfully you do. I'm glad. Don't always enjoy it, but it's good. We need to do that. But it's the way we do it. Oftentimes, when we're not walking by the Spirit or carrying out biblical wisdom or living in light of this passage, I am bringing things forward to other people. I am confronting the, the, the speck that's referred to here that Jesus describes um, earlier in this very same chapter. There's a speck over there, and I'm walking with a log. I mean, you've got to realize, I, you know, Eric touched on this, but the, the humor of, of what Jesus is bringing out. Okay, a, a plank or a log, you realize in the first century that was uh, kind of like a main support beam for a structure of some kind. So, uh, you know, again, you look up, we see the you know, beautiful roof above us. We've got those massive beams right there. So imagine I've got one of those in my eye, and you've got a speck. Let me help you. Everywhere I turn my face or my glance, I'm taking out 15 people in a wall, right? You know, let me help you. That's the picture. And we do that. We do that instead of coming to someone in confrontation in love in grace, in gentleness. Yeah, we're called to speak the truth in love to one another, but folks, it's speak the truth in love to one another. And, and we disagree, and we work things through, but the way we carry it out is what demonstrates what Jesus is saying here. Treat them in the same way you'd want them to treat you. Do you like it when people confront you in that way? No, it doesn't mean don't confront people. It means when you do, do it in a way that you would want to be confronted. And so this applies to everything from parenting to friendships to work relationships to dealing with our neighbors. How would I want to be approached? I mean, because really, you do understand this. When someone's up in your grill, lit up and on fire, is that really the most teachable moment for you? Sometimes I think we, we believe it is. Like, oh, yeah, this is really going to help them. Come here, let me minister to you. You know, you know and that's not it. That's not teachable. You're, you're not investing in their character. You're not bringing growth. You're not causing anything to happen. Essentially, you're actually revealing what you're really after. You could care less about their growth at the time because the main thing to you in that moment is I want my own way. Because heaven forbid if what I want to have happen in this moment doesn't happen. But a lot of times what we want to have happen in the moment is not in fact what God wants to happen. And that's when we need the news flash to ourselves, hey, whoa, you're not God. So I think... It's really important that we grasp what Jesus is saying here. We treat people in the same way we want them to treat us. The same way, that's an important thing. The word for desire there is an important one. Um, 
the same way you want them to treat you. Uh, It's the word that means to take pleasure in something, to enjoy something. And so I think I think there is something to this about you know what when I putting myself in that person's place. Okay, if I need to be confronted, what do I want someone to do? I want them to bring the truth. I want them to do it in a way where I can actually hear it rather than going all defensive. Um, certainly explosiveness or sarcasm or belittling language, that's not going to be helpful. I don't like that. Okay, well then why would I bring that to somebody else? Um, there's, a, there's a desire here. There's a wish here. I, I think this element and this word communicates to us the idea that's very lacking in our contemporary world. I think it's the idea of winsomeness in debate and discussion. There's a place for that. And I think the wise take advantage of that. Um, And so we need to think about this. How do you want others to treat you? Do you want to be rashly or hypocritically judged? No. Okay, then let's be on guard against doing that with others. Or or if you think of... uh, the latter portion uh, that we covered most recently in chapter 7 of the asking and seeking. Do you want to be mowed down by the ambitions of others who seek what they want by chasing down what they want and they'll run over or through anyone who might get in the way of what they want? No. But that is the lot for those who refuse to ask God for what they seek. That's what they'll do. That's what they have to do to get it. But, but, the all-encompassing nature here of in everything to everyone means that this command has almost limitless examples. But are you in this moment, if you're a believer, if you've come to Jesus by faith, are you someone who is thinking and acting and speaking towards others in a way that you know you would desire to be thought of and acted toward and spoken towards? This passage is all about you and others and that interaction. The you is emphatic here. So it's almost like, therefore, treat people in the same way you want them to treat you. And then there's this notion of doing. The word treat there. Um, it really has this idea of, of action. Um, the action here uh, described is actually grounded in the, what the Lord did, not only in the creation of the universe in, in Genesis, the same type of terminology is used there. And of course, when we act and move, we are reflecting our Heavenly Father who made all things and acted and moved in making the universe. But also we find in the New Testament, the stress is on, for believers, actions need to be grounded in the Lord. They need to be right and true and good actions. They need to be uh, empowered by this, the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. Same word. Unless you're intimately connected and in me, in the vine, you can't do anything. So we're supposed to act and live and do and work and move in a, in a way that communicates that we're in Jesus, abiding in him. 
Uh, and there's a really good principle for this, I think, that, that, that comes from biblical counseling materials that we've used for years. Um, but it's simply this. We need to learn to act. Don't react. Act. Take action. Move. Do what God's called you to do. But don't live in reaction to everything around you and everyone around you. We're to do as we desire from others in everything towards everyone. Now, thankfully, we're not just left there because now we find also that there's a reason why. It's not simply just go do the right thing. There's actually a biblical motivation that's deeper and more full. And it really comes from your relationship with the Father. And and really we find this As we've already noted, verse 12 is connected to verse 11. Notice again what it says in verse 11. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what's good to those who ask him? You have a heavenly Father. If you're in Jesus, he is your personal Father, the creator of all things. And all that's been discussed today stems from that relationship with your heavenly Father. And, and we can think back of what Jesus has said earlier in this sermon. He calls us to live in this new way in light of our connection with our heavenly Father. Go back to chapter 6 and we find that that phrase, your Father, is mentioned in chapter 6, verse 1, verse 3, verse 6, two times, verse 8, verse 9, verse 14, verse 15, verse 18, two times, verse 26, and verse 32. Maybe it's a theme. I don't know. I'm just going to throw that out there. It says it over and over and over again. Your father, your father, your father. And he says this ongoing refrain because as one who is personally connected with this new heavenly father as we've come to Jesus, adopted by him, we're now free to live life fully and exclusively before him. And certainly the message in chapter 6 was rather than living for those who are on looking around you, You're living before the gaze of your heavenly Father alone. You can give to him, not for the approval of people, but because your Father sees you in secret. You can fast alone without any preoccupation of how you appear to others. You can do so unto your Father. And when others do see you, you don't have to act like, yeah, I'm fasting. No, instead it's just between you and him, your secret life before God. You can pray and address him as Father because you've been adopted in Jesus Christ. You can freely forgive others because your Father has overwhelmingly forgiven you. You can live free of anxiety because your Father knows all you need even before you ask Him. These are the things Jesus covers in chapter 6. You can trust your Father when you do ask Him knowing He's good and delights in your asking. And so even as we get to the portion of the sermon we're in today, you might think, well, maybe he's, He's done with that theme. But again, verse 11, He brings it up yet again. Why does He tell us this? Because as we're called to act not react. It's not just an imperative that's drifting out there in space, like a bridge in space connected to nothing on either side. No, instead, act, don't react, is rooted in and empowered by your connection, your relationship with your heavenly father. He's your father. You are his daughter, his son. He's adopted you in Christ. His spirit indwells you, enabling you with resurrection power from the age to come. And he calls you to act, not react.
What does that mean? It means in the heat of the moment, when you're attempted to react, in that moment, when you're, when you're feeling that pull to treat another in the way they have treated you, you go, wait, stop, hold on. I have a heavenly father. He calls me to ask of him all things. So I'm going to ask him something. Lord, right now, stop me from ripping the head off the person in front of me. <laughs> That's figurative, by the way. I just want you to know that. Lord, stop me from responding in a way that doesn't reflect who I really am in you. It means in the moment of, of, of perhaps getting in that judgmental zone, an unrighteous judgment. Again, we are called to judge rightly. But when it comes to that rash, ungodly judgment, it's, Lord, stop me from that. I shouldn't even be in that zone. I have a heavenly Father. I'm in you. Teach me to act and not react. We find this coming about because of our Heavenly Father, not only because as we look at our adoption and we have a Father and He has taken us to Himself in that way. Um, that's a huge part of this. But there's another element of this, and Jesus concludes with this, for this is the law and the prophets. Again, that refers back to earlier in the sermon when He said, hey, don't be confused. I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And what he's saying here is, you too can fulfill them as you carry out this kind of living in light of who I am and how I've called you to myself in light of the fact that you've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, given an inheritance because of all these things. You now live in this way of doing to others what you desire they would do to you And in doing so, you're fulfilling the law and the prophets. It's clarifying. It's amazingly simplifying in some ways. But again, it's also impossible unless we've first seen our need for Jesus. It begins with poorness of spirit. It begins with seeing that we're spiritual beggars with nothing to offer. And yet in his mercy and grace, he reaches down, gives us himself, gives us a righteousness that's not our own. Transforms us from the inside out, gives us new desires. And then, in connection with him as our heavenly father, indwelt by his spirit, resting on his provisions for life and everything in each moment, we're enabled to now Do to others what we would desire they would do to us. There was a guy a long time ago who grew up in a family who was pretty dysfunctional, a lot of favoritism. He was picked on a lot by his older brothers, and he had a dream that one day he would rule over his brothers. And here's the thing, he kind of did an unwise thing. He told them. Like, why do you have a dream like that and tell them, hello, just, you know? Keep it to yourself. But no, he tells them. What do they do? They sell him into slavery. And then every time things were looking up a bit, sometimes 
someone would come along and with evil intent, they would dash all opportunities and hope. So he was falsely accused of rape. He was jailed. He uh, would help the fellow prisoners there. They forgot him. He was then called upon after a long time of living in a very, very um, difficult uh, place of being wrongly accused and paying the price for that. He's called upon to actually help the entire people of the land by, by the ruler. And of course, you know who I'm talking about. If you've read the Bible at all, I'm talking about Joseph. And if you're not familiar with that account, you can read it in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. I'd encourage you to do so. But after all those years, Joseph finds himself in a, placed in charge of everything under the, under the king, under the pharaoh. And then there's an international famine. And he's pre- he has prepared the country that's been placed under his charge. They have food. They've planned ahead um, because prophetically he foresaw what would come, specifically the time frames, exactly the, the, the years given by God to him um, in his dream. And so um, he's there. He's provided for the entire kingdom. They have rations. People from other lands are coming now for help. And guess who happens to come amongst those people? His brothers. What does he do? I mean, I'll be honest. He does frighten them a bit. He does. He scares them. (laughs) Um, Not only does he keep the the youngest brother, Benjamin, with him, but he also plants evidence on their belongings. Uh, And when you look at the terminology used for that evidence, it would be culturally understood that the things placed in the brother's bags pointed to their selling him into slavery. It would have been an omen practically to them. So he does do that. But he restrains himself. He does not do unto them what they did to him. You know what he does? He does to them what he would desire from them. He provides food. He forgives. After all the injustice just laid out upon him and running through his life, he responds by saying, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He doesn't take away their guilt or pretend like it never happened. doesn't just put on, on a happy face and sing kumbaya off into the sunset. No, he deals with the reality. No, you meant it for evil. That was evil. But God meant it for good. Brothers and sisters, are you becoming more and more like this in your daily life. In your friendships, with co-workers, in your marriage, if you have kids, in your relationship with them, what's happening in your life today? Is your growing tendency to do unto others as they have done to you? Or by grace, because of your heavenly Father, are you beginning more and more to do unto others as you desire they do unto you? Let's grow away from a life of revenge, even subtle revenge. And let's learn to act and not react. I mean, how could carrying out this kind of golden rule for real, from the heart, based on union with Jesus and our Heavenly Father, how could that set us apart as kingdom citizens from all others in this world? What effect would this bring on our neighborhoods, workplaces, and families? And as we grow in this, our lights are going to shine more. 
that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would um, move in our hearts in this way. We confess to you how often we fall into the deception that, that leads us to treat others in the way we have been treated. We look to you to continue to transform us that more and more we would be those who truly do treat others in the way that we would long to be treated. And in doing so, let us reflect you. May you be glorified. And may others come to know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.